This is Dregs One. Welcome to another episode of the History of the Bay podcast, sponsored by the good folks of Amoeba Music San Francisco, the good folks of Dime Breed San Francisco, where you can get your custom gear and your graffiti supplies, and BlankSlaps.com. If you use the promo code Dregs, D-R-E-G-S, you will receive 10% off your order for all your premium eggshell sticker needs. Today in the house, we got D.E.O. on the boards. We got King Set and Rocky Vision behind the lens. We got the homie Skino in the cut. And today... Uh, I'm really excited because we have a special guest, somebody different than our typical guest. He is an entrepreneur. He is an activist. He is a designer. He is a Frisco legend. Joe Pelly is my rally man, as the great Mac Dre once said. Today in the building, we got Sham Pelly. What's up, man? Man, what's good, my brother? Man, it's an honor to be on the podcast. I've been watching what you're doing and just super juiced about all the episodes. Check them all out. And, man, just proud you just putting on for the city. And just, man, love, man, it's all love. And I'm just happy to be here. You know what I mean? And, uh, man, I love what you're doing for sure. Right on, bro. Man, right on. That means shit. a lot. I, I appreciate the support, man. And uh, you, you have a really interesting story. Some may know, some may not know. But I just want to dive in, do a deep dive into the whole Champelli History, man. So, first of all, I know you were actually born overseas, correct? Yeah, I was actually born in Spain, but uh, came like when I was like one and a half, two years old to uh, to to San Francisco. My okay. mom, my parents were separated. My mom came to the city, and we we uh, landed in the Tenderloin, and that's where we kind of started out, and then uh, you know ended up moving to uh, Bernal Heights from there. After that. Right. And then pretty much grew up there the rest of the time. So, so most of your, your earlier memories are not in Europe. It's, it's here yeah, in the Yeah, no, my, my memories is all, you know, San Francisco pretty much, yeah. So what was it like uh, growing up in the city? Man, growing up in the city, I mean, back in those days, it was, you know, another time, you know, obviously more of a, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say more of an innocent time, you know what I mean? Um, compared to now, everything was like another pace, you know, and... Uh, you know, interesting kind of growing up during, you know, the emergence of hip hop, break dancing, you know, kind of like freestyle skating, just skating was really coming on. And uh, obviously graffiti was like a big wave at that time in the in the 80s, you know, when I was like kind of like actually growing up at, uh, and like out there doing it as a kid, you know. So, I mean, the city was like alive and thriving with, you know, break dancing and music and skating and, you know, um graffiti everywhere and just you know just dope shit was all everybody was doing dope stuff but the only thing at that time there was no social media there was no real you know cell phones even at that time um you know later on in the 80s obviously people started getting brick phones buying little bag phones and shit like that but um you know at that time it was all film everybody was 35 millimeter you know uh film or um you know, some video, some VHS tapes that were like big ass video recorders with VHS tapes started coming in and documenting stuff. And then obviously film, 35 millimeter actual film before then. But uh, yeah, so it was a whole nother time. You know what I mean? For sure. Definitely different yeah. in the city. And, um, you know, this is like literally like kids is out in the streets playing football. And like, you know, it was like a whole nother vibe back then for sure. Yeah, that city neighborhood yeah, vibe. More, more community, more, more more neighborhood vibe for sure in all in all the neighborhoods you know you had a lot more of that more community feel and people were here everybody kind of knew each other and had grown up here you know and uh, that I kind of like 
there's that that's the void that we kind of experience now in San Francisco. That kind of culture and community has kind of been, you know, sucked out of this out of the city in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you say like the the fact that pretty much everybody knew each other. It, I, I always like to say it's like one degree of separation in San Francisco. Like if you're from Frisco, I know at least one person that knows you. I mean, honestly, that's that's what I say. San Francisco and even sometimes the greater Bay Area. Yeah. It's a very small. It's almost like when I meet people from here and I'm like, you almost know, you almost feel like it's like family in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like truly. And people, I think, got to like look at it more that way. You know what I mean? Because it is only a couple of degrees of separation. If you're doing some fuck shit over here on one side of town, it's going to catch up with you. It's not, you know, it's too too small of a of an area, uh, the Bay Area, to really, you know, I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's really small. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. really, like you say, you can real, it's, you can start talking to somebody, next thing you know, they know somebody that you know is like, it's almost instant. You can find somebody that you guys have in common or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, and when you speak of all these things emerging, the graffiti, the, the hip-hop, the, the skating, like, those are also, like, real organic things that you grow up with in San Francisco. And and when I look at, like, a lot of our mutual friends, like, I notice you have, like, friends in all these different spaces and and people who go on to do some really cool stuff in these spaces just happen to be like people you grew up with or went to school with or knew from around the way. Yeah, I mean, you know, all those things that we're speaking of are like community building things, right? You know, you're doing art, you're doing, you know, whether it's graffiti or any other type of art or you're doing music or, you know, even skateboarding, you're building community out there with people. And it is, uh, there's a lot of greatness has come out of the Bay Area. You know what I mean? A lot of great people and a lot of great minds have come out of here. And honestly, like this, California in general, and especially the Bay Area is like a driver of the culture, like throughout the world, actually. We basically influence the world as much as, you know, a lot of people maybe not don't recognize it or wouldn't want to care to admit it. But this is one of those areas that is super influential. And, you know, it it is a blessing to have grown up with really some great minds and great people putting like really interesting projects together and just doing great things coming from nothing, mm-hmm. come from, coming, coming from skateboarding, coming from you know, slang and weed coming from graffiti, watching people, you know, turn their dreams and, and their passions into something really interesting and go on to be even billion dollar industries. Absolutely. And and we from the Bay sometimes get a lot of flack for like always bigging up the Bay and and people accuse us of trying to take credit. But like you said, that worldwide influence is real, especially when you think of Throughout the 80s and 90s, all the people from around the world who were visiting Frisco, visiting the Bay, going to Embarcadero to skate, coming out here to paint graffiti, coming out here to Oakland to to be a part of the music scene, uh, and, and visiting and taking that back with them to the places they, were, they came from. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I mean, I have a ton of friends that in the... In the early 90s, um, you know, we're moving here from different areas and different places, coming from all over and making, calling this home and uh, doing art and graffiti and skating. And I mean, you know, we could sit here and name off some greats that came here 
did their thing and then blossomed and went on to other places and stuff. But definitely they all kind of point back to the Bay Area and San Francisco as like one of their inspirations and where they cut their teeth and got their skills and got a lot of game. And then from there went on to take that and uh, shape it into something great, you know? This episode of the History of the Bay podcast is brought to you by BlankSlaps.com. This website is the number one source for you to get eggshell stickers. They just sent me a pack. Look at this variety, man. You can do all types of stuff with these. These are the real deal eggshells, different colors, different sizes, custom stuff, real unique brands. Blankslaps.com has it all. They also have plenty of graffiti supplies, such as these markers. They got gear. They got apparel. These stickers are really dope for anyone who's looking to do some writing, some bombing, or even just some casual art. Have something around the house. Have something fun to work on and make a great gift. And if you use the promo code DREGS, D-R-E-G-S, that will give you 10% off each order. So make sure that you go check out blankslaps.com, tap in with the promo code DREGS, and get you some of these high-quality eggshell stickers as soon as you can. Check them out, give them the seal of approval, and we appreciate them supporting the History of the Bay podcast. Is there anyone in particular that you came up with in those times that really inspires you with, with their journey? I mean, definitely. There's definitely a lot of people that, um, you know, I could think of. Uh, I mean, just for example, Stevie Williams, he spent a lot of, you know, in the early 90s, spent a ton of time here in the Bay. And he considers this his second home. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's the homie. And Stevie, he was one of the first wave of like pro sponsored skaters, correct? He was he was like not so much the first wave, but definitely that 90s wave. 90s wave. 90s yeah, that wave. 90s wave. because. Yeah. Honestly, in the 80s, there was a whole nother wave that came out of the Bay Area. You got Steve Caballero, you got Tommy Guerrero, you got all types of other big names that all basically came out of the Bay and were here skating in SF and called this home. You know what I mean? So there was a lot of like super pro, you know, uh, pro skaters that came out of here. I mean, even Tony Hawk was around here. Like, yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of big names really fucked with the uh, San Francisco super heavy. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, came out of here and were inspired by this. Huff, you got like, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, Nicky Diamond is another. He's a native yeah. San Franciscan that came out of here and, and went on to do his thing. You know what I mean? Another, Just another example of somebody who kind of, you know, um, you know, rose to greatness out of the out of the um out of the Bay Area, you know, doing his thing. So it sounded like like skateboarding in particular it really gave you that early sense of community back then. Yeah, you know, for me, honestly, is a little bit of everything because mm -hmm. I kind of was one of, I'm kind of like one of these guys who's a little bit renaissance, man. I kind of got my hands in anything like creative and stuff like that. I mean, I skated. At the same time I was skating, I was doing graffiti. So it kind of went hand in hand for me. You know what I mean? I was, uh, and then also I was break dancing. So it was like a little bit of, all of it is like building community to different degrees with different, you know, different people and stuff like that. But uh, it's kind of like just that overall, um, you know, thing that ties people together in these different sectors and everything like that. And a lot of it, there's a lot of overlap, obviously, and a lot of connections 
between all of those things uh, that tie together, whether it's music, we cannabis, skating, graffiti, like, you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff is shared within that those spaces, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that. I mean, you just get that exposure to to all of it just through your your friends and and even just the stuff you see making your way around the city. Yeah. But uh, I I believe that you you know, you have your you have a different finger in all these different areas and all this experience, but you're most known for your your pioneering work in the cannabis field. Mm-hmm. And so how did that journey begin? Because from what I understand, it's something that started early for you. Yeah, so cannabis, you know, I had a little bit of a, just growing up, a little bit of family background, essentially, like, um, you know, older brothers and stuff like that. So I was kind of around the game and also just cannabis at an early age. So that kind of obviously, you know, helped mold and shape and whether it was good or bad, uh, you know, basically affected my, you know, my hand in cannabis and my perception and how I related to the plant and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I started, um, I started smoking at a super young age. I probably started smoking in, and uh, actually in elementary school up here at Buena Vista, right across from La Raza Park, mm-hmm. is the first place I rolled up some leaf with the homies, like in fifth grade. Um, it was like trying to smoke there, um, and then I later on started went on to starting to grow my first grow, which is on Bernal Heights, which is like right up the street from where we are right now too. Um, in my mom's house, I started growing there in like the pantry with the cats and the dishes. And it was like had a little skylight and I had, you know, got some seeds from some other weed that I smoked some bag seeds and it planted that and it got that going right in my mom's pantry. And she was, you know, my brother had actually grown there earlier on and stuff. So I kind of peeped game with that too, you know, watching him like get some plants, but his stuff what didn't never turn out exactly like how my shit turned out, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And so moms was cool with this or are you keep it on the low? Yeah, no, moms was like, it was kind of, you know, she was she was definitely sweating me because I'm over here, you know, um, in middle school starting to grow weed in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and, you know, and then starting to like hustle and shit like that. So we was always kind of button heads, unfortunately, um, about th- those things, you know, because uh, I was a little bit, I was kind of, you know, I was acting bad in a sense, you know what I mean, at that time. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I mean, the thing is, here's another tweak about growing up in Frisco, bro. I feel like damn near everybody has sold weed at one point Man, in your you know? life. You go to the dentist's office and, like, the dental assistant might sell you a sack, <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, she knows a guy. Or, like, you go to, to McDonald's and some dude might have it behind the counter on the low, like, I'm, damn near everybody I know, including my, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and damn near everybody I know has yeah, like yeah. moved a little bit of, uh, you know what I'm saying, at one point or another. Uh, what, what do you think that is? Does that go back to like the hippie movement, the, the, so, the Humboldt County proximity? Like, you know, what I is mean, that, bro? San Francisco used to be like, you know, the home of the hippies in a way. You got Haight Street in the 60s and the 70s. I mean, right up the way here, you got Pot Hill, which was like, Famous for its weed, actually, because it had the best climate. It's the it's a it's a hill in San Francisco that used to get the most sunshine. Everything else would go foggy, and Pot Hill would still get sun. So they'd have, they'd grow the best weed up there on Pot Hill. I used to get some fire from there. But you know, ultimately, it comes down to, you know, it's just part of the culture here. You know, cannabis is one of those things a lot of people growing up around, 
and consumed or used or whatever in one way or another, you know, there's always people's involvement um, through that. And, and San Francisco is one of those cities that's like a little more open and liberal. And at one point, it really was kind of like the mecca and ground zero of like new genetics and new strains and new stuff coming through. Like the best weed in the world is honestly kind of come out of San Francisco and California and the Bay Area. Like as long as I've known, I've been in a lot of spots and a lot of places and traveled and seen weed throughout, you know, the 90s and stuff, early 90s, late 80s. And, and you know, honestly, this is the best weed I've ever seen in my life always came out of San Francisco. Yeah, I think we've always been spoiled in in the sense to where that's always kind of been normal. And then, like, even having that understanding of the hustle, the economic opportunities that is provided, um, you know, because I've done my share of traveling, too. I remember my first time in New York. This is like early 2000s. And I saw how what they was trying to sell me out there. And I'm like, man, first of all, this dude don't even understand how to <laughs> how to make the sale properly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm about to get over on him. <laughs> and then second of all, like he's trying to offer me like his best shit. And this yeah. is nothing compared to yeah, what yeah. I'm used to. And then also just like the tolerance of it. The fact that like I feel like out of compared to other places in America, like blowing weed in public. Walking down the street, smoking a blunt is like a regular thing, whereas like in other places I've been, it's more like, now we got to get out the way. And yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously, shots out to Northern California was growing ultra fire to San Francisco. But yeah, ultimately, like it was one of those things where it is a little more lenient San Francisco itself and Oakland. Once you got outside of these city limits, yeah, say you yeah. went up north. I mean, San Francisco's that way. You go 30 minutes. You go to Daly City. 40, yeah, you go to Daly City, you're washed. You could be driving through, they're pulling you over in two seconds in yeah. Daly City. So it's like, it's a unique little, uh, you know, ecosystem here. A little, uh, It's got its own little um, environment, you know what I mean? As far as like, you go 30 minutes any other direction out of here and it's all bad as far as weed goes, yeah. you know what I mean? Or in the past and just in general, like the what people are like and just everything changes pretty quickly as soon as you leave the city, you know? Yeah, because it's really interesting when you're talking about growing a weed plant in middle school and kind of having your introduction to the game. It's like when most people start dealing with weed as a kid, it's just like maybe, you know, smoke a joint here and there. Yeah. Were you like kind of learning about this whole cannabis culture and this culture of hustling at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I... I grew up kind of in the late 80s, you know, when I was really starting to do that in um, early 90s. And I mean, at that time, I mean, I'm growing up in Bernal Heights, which is like, you know, surrounded by a lot of, I mean, shit, there was a lot of Frisco game, you know what I mean? I got Army Street Projects, Alamany, you got Hunter's Point, you got, you know, Highland Street Projects, you got Sunnydale, you got the Mission District, you got like a lot of stuff going on around there. And this was like during the crack era too. So it's like, there's a lot of hustlers basically in the city at that time. Everybody was getting their hustle on and doing their thing. So it's like inevitable to kind of like pick up a little bit of, you know, at a young kind of impressionable young kid, I mean, you end up looking up to hustlers, you know, they pull up, they got the fresh, the fresh, they're wearing the fresh shit, they're pulling up on some gold ones and an old school or whatever, you know, as a kid, you're like, shit, that's kind of like your role model, unfortunately, and the people like, it's like kind of what I grew up around in a sense, um, growing up where I did um, in, in that era and stuff, so that was kind of like 
you know, and then not to mention my brother, you know, rest in peace. He also was on his hustle shit so early. So I kind of like also was peeping that as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, I relate to that as well. Cause like, even in graffiti, I remember kind of just seeing like older kids that was like painting some ill graffiti, but they was dipped. Yeah. They had some little, little diamond stud earrings and some <laughs> yeah, gold yeah, chains exactly. on and some Jordans and, and, and a pager and yeah. they had sacks online, but they would pull up real quick and, and bust a clean piece or yeah, something like yeah. that. And it was kind of like, whoa, it was a whole like lifestyle, like of that hustle mentality, that fast talking, yeah. kind of just the, the eye for the fly shit. Like all that is uh, very appealing when you're, when you're growing up. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? And I mean, a lot of people, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not a path that I like recommend or, you know what I mean? To anybody, I, I, I would say stick, stick to the straight and narrow, follow your passions and your heart and your dreams. But ultimately, like, you know, I had a lot of friends, I lost a lot of friends to the game sure. and in the streets out here. I mean, it's countless, you know, sad stories out here in San Francisco. I mean, it looks like, a, you know, this beautiful picturesque city, but it has, a, it has its dark side too. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of, a lot of lost time and lives and broken families and broken hearts out here and dreams and shit uh, that didn't, you know, shouldn't have necessarily gone that direction. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I know you've seen your share of ups and downs in this and, and we'll get to, to more of that in your story. But something which you just said is like finding your passion. And I get the sense as you're growing this plant for the very first time, you're discovering a new passion just by being, because, you know, that's a cool feeling, especially as a kid, to even be able to do that. Yeah. Like, oh, I grew it. Like, so when that first plant, when it, when it, when it flowered and everything, what did it, I mean, did it produce know, something cool? I or? think, you know, as humans, we naturally kind of like, you know, being in touch with the soil, being in touch right. with plants. I mean, we come from like cultivating nature and being having that relationship with nature and in an urban environment that a lot of that is missing. You know what I mean? Um, you know, there used to be community gardens in San Francisco, more of them where you could go and have a little plot and grow your little vegetables, have your flowers or whatever you're trying to do there and stuff. But a lot of that is missing in the urban environment. And as humans, we miss that balance of the soil and that's something that grounds us yeah. is being in touch with soil and being in touch with plants and stuff like that so for me obviously it was super fulfilling to go ahead and from start to be you know from start to finish be able to like plant a seed and watch it grow and then have some flower it was really quite an amazing process and within that process you know what i mean discovering a plant that has so many gifts and has so much healing medicine to it. And at the same time, on the other side, on the capitalism side, you could actually gain some money, you know, in order to survive or do, you know, whatever uh, that you needed to do in a sense. So it was kind of like a real, you know, it's really uh, the plant's always been like a blessing in a lot of ways. Um, you know, aside from the legal drawbacks of it, it's always been having always having good blessings and, and positive influence, um, you know, on its own as a plant, you know. Yeah. And I mean, were you did, well, after you grew that first plant, did you did you kind of catch something like, oh, I might be on to something like, how do I do this? How do I make this better? How do I how do I do more of this? Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, you know, I started to like add more plants in my mom's uh I started to grow more plants in the pantry there. And then moms was like, yo, 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 hold on. You're going too crazy here. You know, I started to add more and more plants. And then at that point, um, you know, I had to, I actually had to move out. Like, so when I was 17, 
I ended up dropping out of McAteer, uh, which is a high school here in San Francisco, and then getting my own apartment um, down on Woodward Street, which is like down by the Valencia Gardens. And uh, I got my first apartment down there in like 1991. And that's like when I did my first um, indoor grow. Mm. So I, that was like my next thing. And not a lot of people were growing indoor at that time. Most of the stuff was all outdoor. Um, but, uh, you know, I decided to go ahead and get some lights and throw up some lights in this little apartment and learn, start messing around with the indoor stuff, you know. So that was like kind of the evolution of growing it with skylights, which is like a light, like a light deprivation thing. And then from there going into like doing it with actually controlled, you know, lighting environment. Yeah. And around this time, like, what what would you describe the quality of the weed that was going around San Francisco? You know, so, I mean, before that, in the early, you know, kind of in the earlier 80s, when I was in like earliest of, of middle school and I was first trying to find weed and get weed, there's different degrees. You could go down to Dolores, Dolores Park, which is a park in the in the Mission District there, and you could get some bammer weed or some brick weed, and it would just have like seeds and, and be kind of fucked up. Every now and then you would get some light green stuff that was cool, but it was mostly paisas or Mexicans or different people from South or Central America that would be down there in the park that would have a little paper bag hidden in the bushes or something looking like some trash and you go up hey let me get in me and my homies would pool up ten dollars or fifteen dollars and go down there and try to buy some of this weed you know after school or if we was cutting school i was go to dp everybody go over there and pool up and get themselves a little sack you know so we were smoking whatever you know we could get it we weren't super judgmental but Later on, as time went on, we, you know, you tuned in and you had better connections or you started growing or this and that. Like the weed back then, honestly, was, in my opinion, um, you know, was even better than it was today just because Mm. there was more genetic diversity. Right now, everything has been monocropped and kind of narrowed down to just a few genetics that existed because what happened in the late 80s and early 90s at that time is people didn't have the foresight to, like, save seeds. It was so illegal. Mm. You get caught with some seeds, you go into jail, like, type of shit. You know what I mean? It was still it was still fucked up, so you couldn't really have seeds. You know, you couldn't be, like, people didn't have the foresight of, let me grow this to make seeds to keep this, this same strain going. So mm-hmm. they wasn't keeping the strains going. So hella shit just went lost. You know what I mean? Everybody think was thinking, ah, oh, this will never end. It'll keep going. All this fire weed going to always be around. But it never was... It never was, it started being lost, you know, over time, I watched stuff just disappear where it was like the endo, the super skunks and the certain shit was just like crazy. I mean, like, you know, I'd be on the bus coming from high school and it'd be all the, all the homies I'd be going out to HP or whatever on the 2-4 on the 24 to visit there and they'd be blowing weed and I'd be like, God damn, what is that? I mean, the craziest endo where you'd be like, Fools from the Jacks would have the most best weed. You'd be like, how how are these guys getting that weed? I'd be like, man, it's super fire. You know what I mean? But um, but everything started getting in loss and getting diluted with time. Now we are seeing kind of a renaissance in the weed, whereas people, a lot of people are going back in and trying to develop new stuff and a lot of new breeders and a lot of interesting stuff is coming out, but it's still not quite the same as like what it used to be back in the day when the first yeah. genetics started hitting here, like they're real Afghans from Afghanistan and just certain shit. It was just more pure, you know, and it slowly gotten watered down over the years, you know. That is a trip. It's almost like, and, and, and 
we'll get to more of this later, but like it's so corporate now, it's so industrial in the cannabis business. So what you're saying to me with like the genetic limitations of the seeds, it's almost like some Monsanto I GMO mean, that, type of seeds this going is around. A, this is exactly what it is to another degree. It's like humans, we all have a hand in the plant and the plant, you know, we're shaping the plant, the plant's shaping us. But it's one of those things that if you think about it, you go down and buy a tomato from Safeway, just a regular hothouse tomato that's maybe not organic and boutique or whatever. And it's just like, uh, that shit barely has any taste like a tomato anymore. Like if you had like your grandma or your mom grew a tomato in the backyard, that shit had flavor back in the day. And you'd be like, God damn, this shit was, this shit actually had flavor. And that goes for all the fruits, that goes for everything. They all like, you know, what the demand is, what's the easiest to transport. Like, so we only see in certain apples when there's like five different varieties of apples in the grocery store when there used to be hundreds of apples, you know, or whatever. And so that's the same way with, with the tree too. You know what I mean? All right, everybody want purple? Shit, we just breed them for purple yeah, and that's it. You know, yeah. you ain't going to see no green weed for, for years to come. And now, you know, you're starting to see it again. But that's just an example of how, you know, by the by selection, you know what I mean? Um, everything, you know, gets affected, you know? I mean, we don't think about it, but stuff gets affected and, and it starts to get diluted and, you know, and it ain't, it ain't the same as what it used to be, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting. And I'm just hearing, like, how you speak on it. It's, like, definitely coming from an approach of, like, West Coast hippie, bro. Like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. connection to the earth yeah, yeah. and the changes over the time that's brought For on by, sure, like, man. corporate... In the industry, but it's like I'm just saying that to say that, like, for some people watching this, they might be like, "Oh, they're just talking about pot." It's just like, yeah. no, there's so many layers to this to this mean, culture and to this game. There's so many layers to this game, and honestly, where you know we're going as humans and where the society is going and everything speeding up to whether it's our food, whether it's cannabis, if you're smoking weed, where everything like. It's all, you know, being affected and changing and everything. And, um, you know, I am super hippie. I grew up just like, you know, really with a close connection to the earth and nature and always just, that's just always been me. I ain't never really, you know, fronted and, and I always kind of kept it real. I'm like a urban, urban hippie, basically, you know what I yeah. mean? That grew up in the shit um, and, um, you know what I mean? But I still like all about the the people and the plants and the nature and the animals and like, you know, we got to conserve our, you know, our earth and our resources and everything and, and respect nature, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, respect, uh, uh, have respect for people as well, you know what I mean? And oh, different indigenous people and all these, all these things is ultimately getting lost, right. you know, when, even when it comes down to indigenous people and everything like that's, they trying to wipe indigenous people off the earth and those teachings that was along with them people. And so that's the same way that's happening to the plants, to the animals, to everything, you know what I mean? And it's a certain mindset that basically is on that shit. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like trying to like, you know, so as, you know, as conscious people and, uh, you know, we got to like be aware of those things and start to sensitize to them things and be aware of that and try to preserve, you know, old ways of life and real, you know, real shit and real knowledge and pass it along, you know, because a lot of that's just getting, it's getting, you know, McDonaldized, you know what I mean? To where, you know, shit, it's, shit's just cheap now, you know what I mean? As far as life and just, and everything, you know what I mean? Knowledge is, is commoditized and it, it don't have no value and everybody just moving so fast. You don't take time to see the details 
and what's really going on around us. You know what I mean? No doubt, man. And that's that's why I'm excited you're here because that's what we're doing with this podcast is just laying this foundation, documenting some of these things, you know, from the people who lived it themselves so it doesn't get lost in the in the shuffle of time. And I definitely relate to all that. Like, I think all of us, especially in Frisco, have that little bit of hippie in us, the Grateful Dead, that kind of community vibe, all the diversity, all the cultural movements that have come out here uh, definitely have rubbed off on us. And it's just really interesting to hear your journey of experiencing this uh, through like cannabis, because as, as a time period we're talking to like early 90s and all these strains, right? Like this is another thing, like the Bay has always been ahead. Like people now, they, they'll go to the cannabis club and they'll be like, uh, okay, sour diesel over here. Okay, let me get the white widow or let me get some cookies or let mm-hmm. me get some rice. It's like, bro, we've been had flavors. Like we've been, like I'm, I'm a little younger than you, but like I came up, with like cat piss mm-hmm. or like mango kush or like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The nade we could get into is a uh, whole yeah, nother yeah, level. Yeah, like, yeah. And of course, champagne too. Like we've been, had these flavors and it's just interesting when I'm hearing you like, as you talk about moving out of your mom's house, um, 91, 92-ish, that's also when like, we said Bammer earlier, no Bammer mm-hmm. weed drops. Uh, uh, Total Devastation, I believe they dropped around that time. Cypress mm-hmm. Hill. Cypress Hill, the, the cannabis uh, culture is moving a little forward mm-hmm. into the limelight, and it seems like you're like right right place, right time with that shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was interesting. Like you say, you got the chronic, you got the real. Yeah. You got, you know, Cyp- you know, you got, man, it's all, it's all happening all at that time. Total devastation. I mean, there's a lot of Bay Area music all happening at that time, thriving, you know. Shit, Huey MC. I mean, mm-hmm. you got like, you know, a lot of, a lot of greats, you know, obviously too short and a ton of people. But yeah, the, 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 at that time, like music and cannabis culture was like super tied, you know, in super heavy and a lot of it honestly gets discounted now in a sense how how heavily music has an influence in the cannabis world and vice versa you know you like a lot of these older hip-hop artists and everything they've been been smoking tons of weed since still 25 years ago they all been smoking weed and talking about weed you know what i mean so for them to see all this come around now it's like, damn, okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, it's a trip. Like, it's a trip, you know what I mean? They're like, shit, we've we been on this this yeah. whole time, you know what I mean? And uh, and actually, like, you know, kind of demonized for it, too, a yeah, lot of times, and Yeah, too. a lot of them got, you know, got blackballed and mm-hmm. demonized and wasn't all the way accepted into the commercial side of music and and so forth at the time uh, due to their cannabis, where it's now, it's kind of celebrated, where people will be like, oh, he smokes weed, you know, they make a thing out of it. With yeah. Khalifa, Snoop yeah. Dogg now, Snoop Dogg kind of got his flowers in that sense where he's Everybody knows he's a weed dude. They like, yeah. you know, it's like a joke. Oh, yeah, Snoop. Yeah, he's lighting up, you know, whatever. And back in the day, it was still more like, you know, still shunned or whatever at that time, you know? Yeah. So, what, I mean, what, like, so as you were, you, you were seeing this in real time, too. Yeah. So, were you also like getting involved in the music, too? Like, what was your, you're talking about moving out at 17. Like, did you have like a path in front of you that you were following or? So honestly, you know, I mean, I was always heavy into the music and a big fan of of music. So I grew up very much like, you know, my mom and my brother always, I always had a a turntable around. So I was always scratching. I was making mixtapes from KPOO, like old Roxanne Shantae battles or Too Short or like, you know, just endless 
endless old school hip hop shit. I was recording it and bringing tapes to school and trading it with the homies and we'd have tapes. And then between that and like break dancing, you know, early break dancing and shit like that. And um, so I always kind of had this relation to music. And um, and then obviously throughout the 90s, and uh, in the and uh, in late '80s and stuff like that, just listening to stuff and um, being a fan of a big fan of Bay Area music, of course. You know, growing up listening to E40 and Too Short and Mac Dre and all that. Um, I just was superly inspired, and you know what I mean. That was like that music is kind of like was in my it was in my blood and in my soul in a sense. You know what I mean? Just growing up with it and living it, living that life. Uh, you know, and, and at that time and listening to that music as your soundtrack. You know. I'm driving around smoking, smoking weed, listening to RBL. Don't give me no Bammer weed when it's coming out. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like one of those things. I'm in the moment, living this shit, listening to the Cypress Hill. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and all, and all these different uh, groups. You know, so yeah, so it definitely that definitely was part of my inspiration to going on and starting to do music and. And there was a big wave in the Bay Area of compilations and stuff like that where everybody was doing compilations. So I kind of jumped on that wave as well with me and the homie, who you personally know as well. Um, and we we started doing a compilation. Right. You know what I mean? At that time. And that was kind of like me getting my feet wet. I always knew I wanted to do some kind of music, something and involvement. And that was like a perfect entry kind of point was like, all right, let's put together a compilation with a bunch of different artists. You know what I mean? And that's kind of how I got connected with uh, Mac Dre, Mac Mall, and, you know, Doobie and yeah. and all these other yeah, artists that I was fucking Watch House, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah so me and Jonas, we, we was fucking around super early with the music together. You know what I mean? And we kind of like, uh, he went on and did Wash House and I went on and did Champelli. And at the same time, we were just recording and fucking around together. So this is pre-Wash House? Pre-Wash House. Okay. Was, yeah, yeah. It was like pre-Wash House. So we're talking kinda, like mid nineties. Yeah, 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 like mid nineties. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it was kind of like I had my, you know, I had my thing going. We were trying to figure out what to call shit. I kind of started Champelli and was doing my thing. And you know, it's some we went to high school together, so it was coming up. We, we, you know, we obviously had our own views and worked differently in a degree to where he's like, it became evident, like to the point of like, ah, oh, well, I just kind of got to also do my own label also because I have my own way of working. He had his own way of working. And and then we just kind of, he ended up starting Wash House like kind of later on, but we were working together on the Champelli stuff for years together as well, you know, and he was a part of that early on yeah. too, you know what I, I, mean? I still don't understand Joe's way of working, but Yeah, yeah, it I works. mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He'd be pulling, yeah, pull, you know be what pulling what I mean? hats out of rabbits, man. Yeah, yeah, make yeah. something out of nothing, man. Yeah, yeah. But he makes it happen, man. Yeah, for real, for real, you know <laughs> what I mean? So yeah, so we went on, you know, we was doing music together and then I, I went on, he did his thing, I did my thing with the with the uh, the Champelli stuff and, you know, was releasing uh releasing stuff in the late 90s and getting stuff on the radio on yeah, KML yeah, yeah. at that time and pressing vinyl and hitting all the DJs off with vinyl and pressing CDs and, um, you know, just doing the whole thing. Um, so, you know, it was, it was an interesting time, you know, working with Bay Area yeah, artists yeah. and stuff like that. It was yeah. cool. Yeah, I want to dive deeper into that, but yeah. just already, like, it's, I mean, the hustle translates very well. Music... And, and, and slang it like it kind of mm -hmm. if you can master one you can master the other it's a real especially in the bay yeah, just yeah. all that game taking that same approach um so speaking of like champelli and we're talking about you doing your first indoor grows like at what point are you developing and like 
And this is why I say when I talk about being ahead of the curve, like the marketing, the branding of strains, like the, the things that like cats are doing now with the mm-hmm. bags and all these, like this is all old school to mm-hmm. us. Yep. And I mean, you're definitely one of the pioneers in that sense. So how was that going like as you started entering into that world of like branding your own strains? I mean, a lot of the branding at that point, you know, it was kind of like, Still just, you know, turkey bags and sandwich bags and a lot of that, just because at that time, everybody was still sketched out. Like, I don't really need something that's going to lead back to me, you know, at that time. Yeah. So we were still real skeptical about that. But I did dream about like, oh, we create a brand. We put it in a cigarette package. We was like already thinking all that in the mid 90s already. But it was like, ah, we can't really do it yet. You know, it was still kind of sketchy. But at that time, I was putting out music. And I had clothing shit I was already doing, and I'd already done. I started a clothing label early in the uh, in the early '90s too, like '93 with my boy uh, Syra. Oh, um, rest in peace, yeah, Syra. rest in peace, yeah. Syra. We kind of did some clothing shit uh, back in the. He like, was doing designs for you. Yeah, he yeah. was doing designs and cooking up. Yeah, he was ill. Mm-hmm. So you know, so. Um, but uh, yeah, so so really, it was just an organic thing with the music. Me always having the champagne. A.K.A. the Champelli, just always on deck. Wait, so um, that that's what I wanted to get. Like, yeah. when did that become, like, when did you know you had something? Because Champagne was, was like, it's hard to describe for people who weren't there. Like, if it was like, if you had, like, I got, hey, I got some Champagne. Like, wait, what? You got some Champagne? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how'd you get that, bro? Like, yeah, let, me, yeah. let me get a little bit. Like, nah, I only got this little bit. Left. Like, yeah. it was an exclusive, like, sought after, uh, highly reputable, uh, a highly, like, potent, a good positive effect type yeah, of vibe. Um, it, it was a very uh, sought after strain. So, like, what point did that come into the picture where you, we're doing all these grows, and then it turns into into that. So I mean, the champagne, you know, up in early, even earlier on in the late '80s, and then early '90s, I was already like brand naming strains, you know, and, and stuff like that. I would grow something, it'd be this, it'd be that. I'd have different little names for shit. And the champagne was just one of those ones that I always had it enough at the right time with the musicians, and there was like a just like an organic thing that happened of everybody smoking it and mentioning it in music and it wasn't contri- contrived or like yo here here goes some weed mention my you know shit it wasn't any of that it was just them mentioning it organically when Dre you know is dropping uh, the Pelly name in like you know six seven eight songs it's he all might like be organic the, the, the you know most, what I mean he might have given you the most shout outs he pretty much damn near you know and, what and I mean? real quick too I gotta point out the shout out to my boy Cloud City Art who just blessed us with this new painting oh, of, of Dre right for the there. studio that's Check him out hard. on yeah, Instagram, yeah. Cloud City Art. Thank you very much for that. It's very fitting as we start speaking about yeah. the late, great Mac Dre. But yeah, he had a lot of love for you, it sounded like. Nah, for real. Now nah, we definitely, you know, uh, you know, it's interesting because when I first was listening to Dre, before, you know, in, in high school, before I had met him, you know what I mean? When he's doing his album in jail on the telephone and all that shit was my favorite shit, you know yeah. what I mean? To, so to finally kind of meet him and do our thing together, you know what I mean? And, uh, uh, it was just, it was uh, honestly, uh, you know, a real dude, gen- real good, genuine dude. You know what I mean? Um, what was the first, we, t- what the first time you met? Man, first time we met was at uh, G-Man Stands down in Hayward, which was a studio down in Hayward. Uh, had an SSL board and he had just got out of jail and uh, Mac Maul had brought him through the studio to do a song uh, with me and Joe, actually. Um, and we was like... Um, 
basically for our, trying to put together our compilation still at the time. So okay. he'd come through, you know what I mean? And um, so, yeah, so that was, uh, that's how it kind of all began, you know what I mean? It was just us messing around and making one song, you know? Um, and then from there, just led to like, you know, a, a friendship from there, you know, always, he'd always come out to the city and fuck with us all the time. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was definitely some some interesting times at, the, at that point. You know? Yeah, I mean, he was like shouting you out like, Damn it, up until his final album. 2004, like, he yeah. got shout-outs of, you know yeah. what I mean? She only sees me with Sam Pelly trees. Man, you know? Man, so, you know, I always, I take it upon myself to keep his name alive and his legacy alive, and you know what I mean? Uh, when people, uh, you know, have that much love for you, and regardless if they're a friend, I always try to keep, you know, friends' names and memories alive somehow, you know? So, however, I moving forward, I'm always, you know, putting his name out there and, and, and blessings and accolades and flowers. Cause man, he's just a, he's a Bay area icon and a legend out Absolutely. here. You know what I mean? And he did, he did, uh, he did amazing things for the Bay and it was like a catalyst at that point. You know what I mean? It really made, made history out here, you know? Absolutely, man. It's cool that you got to be a part of that from behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. So as like champagne is spreading on like a street level, mm -hmm. on a word of mouth level, on a music level, because the music out here is so connected to the streets that what's going on in the streets 100%. influences the music so much, including the type of weed that's going around. Mm -hmm. And then so you do, what was the first compilation called with, with you and, and Jonas? I mean, that was Game Plan was the first okay. compilation yeah. that we kind of put together. The Crest Side Game Plan? Yeah, Is that it was like it? the Game Plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was like kind of... <laughs> and it evolved over the years and like changed because by the time we actually ended up putting it out was like way later, you okay. know what I mean? So yeah. it kind of evolved, you know? And I mean, and music is one of those things like depending on the music, if you don't put it out right away, it kind of got a, you know, it got a little bit of a shelf life, you know, in a way. It's a little stale you to, know what to I mean? your own ears. Yeah, that's what it is, yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go, right there on the screen. Right, yep. is that it? Game plan, that's it. Yep, Doug One on the art, actually. Is that right? Shout out to Doug One. Wow. Yeah, man, that's the homie right there, Doug One. We always, a lot of our early artwork, we was fucking with Doug at the time, you know what I mean? He was doing a lot of my, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our, our covers and artwork and graphics and shit like that. Shout you out know? to Doug, man. Yeah. So much on under his catalog. So this, this, um, this, you were working on this before Wash House came into existence. Yeah, we were we worked on this before we even Wash House came into existence. Yeah. So you're learning like through trial and error, like trial as you say. Error, like yeah. usually the reason the music ain't coming out is because you're still figuring shit yeah, out. You're still just figuring making it the all music out. is one thing, yeah, and then getting to actually put it together. For your, when you're yeah. just starting out, you're like, wait, this is actually a lot of work. Like, how do I do all and this? We started the compilation, and then it started at leading to doing other albums, individual albums with different artists. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I ended up fucking around and doing, you know, a bunch of albums with San Quinn, for yeah, example, yeah. who I was, you know, even also looking back was just like, you know, um, ultimately a fan of his music. When I, you know, before I even knew Quinn, I was like a huge fan of his music. You know what I mean? Of like, course. man, Quinn, yeah. this shit is, you know what I mean? I'm listening to that and GOP and, and, uh, and the fig, you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, 
And so, so working with him, and we did we did a couple albums together. We released the uh, the Mighty Quinn, the Mighty Quinn, which yeah. was in two thousand and one, and that uh, came out on your label. That came out mm-hmm. on Champelli, and uh, that actually, you know, we got a bunch of radio play and stuff on that, and was pretty well received by the DJs and stuff like that. And, and you uh, you mentioned earlier you were kind of busting moves to to do that to. Yeah, executive you know, produce it and put it in rotation. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I really, I mean, I had produced like three or maybe four tracks on there, but my main focus was being like an executive producer at that point. You know what I mean? The look and kind of, you know, guiding the the direction of the project and how I wanted it to sound. And, you know, I mean, that project really was kind of ahead of its time for the sound in the Bay Area at the time. It's just something totally different than people would ever really heard Quinn rap on so it was a little bit like people were like didn't get it completely in the bay just because it was just different than is that what you're going for done, you know you're going for going, something a little more mainstream yeah almost. I was trying to go for something a little more mainstream mm-hmm. you know what I mean I kind of tend to be like on my production side I try to I'm kind of like you know hit orientated my ears kind of tuned to that frequency to where I'm just trying to like you know, make hits, but at the same time, make good music, you know, and I learned over the years, it's not really all about that, but that's kind of like what I was going for, you know, kind of single, yeah. single driven sort of thing, trying to like create something like that. Cause ultimately I wanted, you know, I want shit. I wanted Quinn to win. I wanted him to get that exposure. Want a viable the product. Yeah. I want a viable product. Yeah. And I'm also want to see him, you know, become the, the, uh, you know, the great, you know, even greater than he already was at the time, but become, a you know, a big artist, you know what I mean? Because I believed in him, you know? Uh, and did you first meet Quinn, too, doing the, the whole compilation thing? or Yeah, honestly, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how we met. Met, uh, met Quinn and met, uh, you know, Toriano mm-hmm. and Big Rich and, uh, you know what I mean, uh, Bailey and, you know, fucking around doing doing the music stuff, you know what I mean? Explosive mode. Yeah, <laughs> that's when all that 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 film music was in full effect back then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Dio was actually saying before this started how much he enjoyed that that Mighty Quinn album. I think that's yeah. one of his favorite ones. And we were talking mm-hmm. about just how Quinn represented that elite Frisco spitter. Yeah, like yeah. he was like our rawest spitter, oh, lyrical yeah, beast. No, yeah, yeah. That that we were all hyped for growing up in the city. For sure. And it's interesting because on that album, he like actually does go, he kind of weaves a little bit of like, you know, almost like knowledge in there too. On right. some of these hip hop beats, it's like a little bit of it's kind of political and kind of like, you know, knowledge. Like he's spitting some game in there. It ain't just all like fluff. You know what I mean? He really coming with some shit that's, you know, pretty deep on there. If you listen to the one track, uh, 2021, I think the track was actually called, I think it was called 2021, I think, or two, Q2020. Q2020, that's what it was. So it was interesting. When you listen to that song, it literally is like predicting like what was going on like two years ago, you know what I mean? During 2020, like literally pandemic, all the shit, cities locked down, troops on the streets, like you name it, Nate, radioactive shit. And just like, I mean, like, He's going in on that shit, and it's almost like a prophetic song. You yeah. know what I mean? So you listen to Q2020 on the Mighty Quinn right now, you're going to hear some shit that was like almost on some Mr. Predictor shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's uh, a trip. For real, I got to go back different. and check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty deep. It just shows you what level his mind is on and where he was at as a, as a human being, too. You know, Quinn's a deep cat, you know? Well, I think um, I can just hear, like you were saying, how much you uh, have respect for him and you wanted him to win. And I think that's like the perfect combination of business and art 
when you have someone on the business end that's like, yeah, okay, let's make some hits. Mm-hmm. Let's make it do what it do. But at the same time, I genuinely want the best for the artists that 100%. I'm working with. You don't get that all the time in the music industry. Yeah, you know, we were just an independent label, you know what I mean? Just um, coming out the streets, just looking for alternative stuff and trying to make a new way for, you know, for everybody, you know, in a sense, you know. So uh, we we got like like-minded thing. He was coming out of another record label deal and it just was just ended up working out you know what I mean um and it was just like a fair deal and you know I, I really went in and, and and put my all into that and he did too and uh and it was it was a dope project definitely you know we we made history in our own way in our own way in, bay, in the bay in the bay area at that time you know what I mean man that's how I look at it. I, I respect anybody that was on the shelves because once you're actually on the shelf and, and in the game, it's like you have your own chapter in, in this history book. That's how I feel yeah, about for it. Yeah, true. And it's a trip, like I was mentioning earlier, just that's like a classic Bay Area story of how the hustling translates to the music industry and so many, so many concrete dreams coming up out of somebody who managed to hustle up a little bit of change Mm -hmm. and then figures out a way to flip that into the music business. And so where you seeing this is like, you know, actually the the, the shit is going cool, but I can't do this forever. So I do need to figure out some other avenues. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously at that time, I'm, you know, one of those things is like, the street game and that and the hustle game or whatever, that shit's tiring. And you know what I mean? It's like, it's not something you want to try to do forever. You know what I mean? It's like, that shit is like, you know, PTSD to this day from just that side of shit. So it's like one of those things you're trying to find a different, you know, route and find a different way and just put it into positive things. And uh, I've always was, was a creative person. So for me, music just became like, you know, um, just kind of like that outlet, essentially, you know what I mean? Where I could put positive energy in and try to create something new and different and um, and for myself and for the others around me, you know what I mean? And open up a lane. And at that time, you know, before, actually, we got in it right when there was like a serious downturn in music, but mm-hmm. it, right before like that. Like the Napster CD. Yeah, that, like that right then it all changed, it all changed you know what I mean? It went, it went from analog to digital, yeah, and yeah. Napster came, a lot yeah. of shit changed. Uh, you know, Tower Records is going bankrupt. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of shit. And, uh, you know, we ended up, Quinn's Project kind of suffered from that in that sense. Like, there was, like, a lot of the shit was, like, Tower went bankrupt. We lost, like, a lot of units to that and a bunch of other spots going under. It was just, like, a weird time, with, you know, with, uh, with music. But at the same token, yeah, we was definitely trying to make you know, make it make a change and make a lane for ourselves and, uh, you know, and, and, and do some positive shit out here. And, you know, yeah. I think uh, a lot of people were stuck, caught scrambling around that time trying yeah. to figure out. It was such a sudden shift. It was a sudden shift. Yeah. It was like one of those times. It, it was like a instant little transition right there. I mean, I remember I bought a two-inch machine, which is like a tape machine for recording at the time, an analog tape machine. I spent like 20, 25 grand for it. And then everything went digital. Pro Tools came out. Shit, I mean, those things was just like a paperweight then. It was like, you know, worth maybe five grand, four grand or something like right. that. Like, damn near overnight, practically. Right. I was like, shit, you know what I mean? But yeah, at that time, all the music we was mainly doing, we was all recording on um, two-inch tapes, you know? Yeah. Analog, different uh, sound. totally different, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it's hard for people to contextualize it now, but like when we're talking about the Wii game, Back in the days, it's like a totally different set of legalities. And where did you find yourself 
expanding to a point where you're like, all right, this, this, I might have to get about the game at some point sooner or later because this is getting a little too major. Or I'm getting a little hot. Or like, how, how was, how are you expanding in the game? I mean, you know, shit. I mean, I had a lot of, I mean, I was kind of going crazy out here. It was like back in the days, like not everybody had weed like it is now. That's what I'm saying. Like now yeah. it's like everybody and their grandma yeah. got weed right now. You know, back then it wasn't like that, uh, so to speak. It was definitely, you know, way more, it was definitely hotter and, um, you know, and way less people had weed like that. So if you had weed, you know, shit was... It was different, you know what I mean? It was almost like a little, it was a special, it was a special thing at that point still, you know? But I mean, I was definitely moving and, and grooving in a way that was like, you know, you know, kind of big at that time, you know what I mean? For uh, for the times and for just a kid that, you know, a dropout and just, just come up with the street with no real education and to kind of like flip it into some, you know, some tickets back then, you know, to off of the street, that was like, that was like, damn, you made it. You know, you yeah. feels like it at least at that time. You know what I mean? And in retrospect, it is just a piece of the puzzle and it isn't, it, you didn't really make it, but it was like a step in the right direction because ultimately, you know, you don't really make your, you know, you don't really, they say, you know, you got to lose a couple million to to really, really make your real millions. You know what I mean? So it's all a learning process. And I definitely learned from it all, from whether it was the music uh, the clothing, the tree game, you know, all my all my stuff is all my life has been music and creativity and cannabis. And all of it has just te- taught me over the years then got me to the point where I am now with my brand. And what I'm trying to do now is all tools because it's all I've been, uh, you know, living and breathing this whole time is just creativity and and uh, the plants and so forth. And, you know what I mean? It's just been basically you know, honing my skills and and honing me as a person to, you know, to finally be like, damn, I can put all these skills that I have, you know, to play like music production, uh, you know, artist development, uh, directing videos, uh, producing, you know, all, all these different things. And just my eye, just honing my eye with graffiti stuff, with colors, with art, just with all this shit is all skills that like I was like, who would have known that, you know, now I could like all put it all to use in something that I love and that I'm passionate about, like my own brand and go ahead and, you know, once again, you know, try to really create something, create something for others around me. And I'm just like, I look at it as I'm kind of like the vehicle and the conduit ultimately, because at the same time, I'm not only doing this for myself, I'm doing it for Frisco. I'm doing it for the loved ones. I'm doing it for everybody that, you know, I lost in my life. So it's like one of them things, like, it's like means a lot, you know? Yeah, man, all that comes across that your experience is getting put to good use. It's all a very positive vibe. It's nothing like greedy or like, I mean, you've already been through all the ups and downs of the game and now you get to kind of take take what you take what you gain from that and, and put it towards what you're doing. Um, so I, I definitely respect it, man. Um, but you, you actually did end up catching a pretty big case. At, yeah. at what year was that? That was like, you know, um, 2001 is like when I had to end up leave, leaving uh, the United States. So I ended up leaving, but the case had been going on for a while, for some years. Did I recreate um, that? Was a was that a Rico? It was a Rico. It was a Rico yeah, huh? it was a Rico act. Um, and it wasn't uh, me directly per se. I was just kind of adjacent to it. You well, know that's what how mean? Rico works, right? Yeah, it's like a so, big you know, conspiracy. Yeah, and yeah. If you just fit in one piece of the puzzle, they can drag like, yeah. you into so, it, and they can use what you're doing against somebody else, and yeah. vice versa. 
Yeah, no, that's like one of those ugly things. They turn everybody against everybody. And, you know, it's a dog eat dog sort of world. You know what I mean? And I just didn't, at that point, I chose not to be in it. I had gotten a word from uh, my buddy's girlfriend who was a lawyer. You know what I mean? And he, she had told me like, yo, if you could leave the country right now, it'd be a good time to leave. So I just decided to just bounce rather than stick around and find out. I didn't want nothing to do with the you know, um, the legal shit out here, you know, in the yeah. United States is no joke, man. They take your freedom and fucking, you know, fuck up your whole life, you know? And I'm like one of these people, it's like, man, you know, who are, who are they to tell, you know? I mean, it's like, as long as you ain't doing nothing violent or hurt nothing but nobody, you know what I mean? It's like, that people shouldn't have a place to try to tell you, you know, you got to go sit down for 10 years or something like that and take away your freedom, you know what I mean? So I was like, I'm out of here, fuck this shit, you know what I mean? So I ended up leaving. And um, kind of somewhat dodging the bullet, I ended up coming back before the statute of limitations and still had to kind of like sit down for like six months or whatever when I got back. Okay. Everybody had already been charged and all. Yeah. You know, when they when I got back, it was like they didn't need me. They was like, ah, oh, well, shit, man, you just like an afterthought at this point. Mm. But at the time, they would have tried to press me, you know what I mean? Well, once they have you and they slap you with this big-ass RICO charge, and they're telling you all this other bullshit, like, hey, guess what this guy yeah. said about you? Hey, yeah. guess what this guy's doing? Hey, guess what we're going to do? Hey, guess what the maximum <laughs> yeah. sentence yeah, is? Exactly. The mandatory minimum yeah. sentence for what you're doing, like, they can really try to jam you up. Yeah, 100%. Like, I got, you know, I got back and did six months at the time. If I would have stuck around, they for sure would have been trying to be, like, talking 10, 20, who knows, yeah. or, you know, 5, 10, 15, yeah. who knows, you know what I mean, at the time. And they, they fabricated shit and create shit out of air, thin air, you know what I mean? What if what if they want to, especially in that in that situation when they're trying to threaten you or press you to roll on somebody or something, they're going to cook up some shit that have you, you know, looking like fucking, you know, Charles Manson, you know what I mean? Yeah, type no. of shit. Was, was that a stressful experience, like basically being on the run during that time? I mean, yeah, being on the run definitely wasn't like a comfortable experience. You know, you looking over your shoulder and, you know, kind of, living out of bag, damn near in a way, just kind of like mobile, like, you know, in our status. And I mean, I eventually kind of settled in and I ended up moving to, uh, going to Europe. So I was over in Europe and had some good years over there and shit. That was cool. You know what I mean? And um, ended up growing more weed over there and, and getting, making friendships over there and building over there on, on that side of the, uh, that side of the water, you know? Well, I mean, as we get to this part of your story, I think there's something really important here. Like, we're not glorifying any aspects of any yeah. of this shit. But what we do got to speak on and what has become a big issue is the fact that something we now realize has medicinal benefits that is helping people. That is essentially, it's not a, what do they call it? Like, it's not a schedule one substance, controlled yeah. substance. It's not, we're not talking about serious, hardcore, destructive drugs. Um, and how people have, and to this day, are still dealing with the repercussions of having been criminalized. Uh, it's a big issue, man. Like when when Peter Tosh and all these guys are singing about legalize it, they're not doing it just on some party shit. It's because people's lives are getting affected from in, in outrageous ways from man. growing a plant. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, now it's, you're considered, a, you know, a caregiver or a caregiver yeah. or an essential worker even, you know what I mean? And uh, back in the day, they was ready to, you know, lock you up and throw away the keys, essentially, yeah. you know what I mean? So uh, we've come a long way, but there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, people are still getting, you know, prosecuted and affected by the, through the plant, you know what I mean? And ultimately... I mean, we know the bottom line is just comes down to like tax dollars, essentially. But it's like it's not fair that somebody, whatever, they could be rolling out here with, you know, a pound that's not, you know, have doesn't have paperwork to it or an ounce or a two ounces or whatever it is. Like, it's not fair that they go to jail and there's still people in a store with selling the same shit all day long. That yeah. just doesn't. That don't that don't add up, you know what I mean, right there, you know what I mean. So um, obviously, there's a lot of marginalized communities that have been affected by this over years and years, and they're still targeted right now. Let's keep it real, you know what I mean. They're still gonna fuck with somebody who gets pulled over in the hood before they fuck with anybody else, and you know, I mean, especially they just smoking weed or whatever. It's like that's enough to get you fucked with and rolled up and violate you, you know what I mean? And just yeah. it's just not it's just not right. It needs to there still needs to be a a change there and a delineation between like, yo, look, this is a nonviolent act. People, you know, are not hurting nobody. Yeah, you get caught with whatever, 100, 200 pounds or whatever it is, an ounce, whatever. That should just be a fix-it ticket. You know, maybe you got to pay some, you okay, some back taxes on that product, whatever it is. But it, it should not be people doing time in jail and affecting their family and their livelihoods and setting their whole life back. You know what I mean? Now, people don't deserve that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it, I mean, it's I've seen you use your platform to advocate for this. And um, I'm sure having done your time for it and being part of that case, like definitely kind of lit that fire in you as well to like pay that forward to other people. Because uh, I believe th there's somebody that you've posted about a lot that you're close to. I, I can't recall yeah. his name right now, but uh, he did like. 20 plus years yeah, for we did 30 30 years for, what was yeah, his name again uh richard delisi he yeah. was one of the longest serving cannabis prisoners uh in the united states and um yeah you know uh you know god bless richard he's out now doing his thing it's got like a brand going and is starting to make some money legally off of it and uh man i mean that's like somebody who really you know shit is paid you know paid his way and uh and sweat and time and blood and loss. I mean, I watched, I was really close with his son. So I watched how it affected his, his whole family and his son and everything. And to see what it did just close hand, you know, up in front. And me and his son would always talk about like, damn, how are we going to get your dad out and shit like that, you know, and to finally kind of like actually have a hand kind of in moving that forward, you know, was like a blessing, honestly. So I was able to kind of like alley-oop his case to the last prisoner prisoner project. The last prisoner project went ahead and started advocating for his release. And two years or like a year later, we was able to get him out, you know, and this is after he basically had a life sentence, you know what I mean? Yeah, a life sentence for trees for, wow. And he served over 30, you said? yeah. I can't imagine 31, that, 32 years he for served trees. For, for trees, you know what I mean? So, and there's still people in jail for it in some of these states. We're just not hearing about it. Their stories aren't getting out there. And that's the sort of thing that is close to my heart. After doing six months, which feels like six years in there, nobody should lose oh, their freedom. I don't freedom. like doing six minutes, man. And that's what I'm saying. It's your freedom you're speaking of. So it's like one of those things like, you know, 
people's stories, you know, people who are sitting inside right now in these same circumstances right now that don't have a voice and uh, they don't want them to have a voice either. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just a shame because right now there's a ton of big business out here making a ton of money and I'm all for that. But at the same time, we also got to, you know, take care of the people that are, you know, still affected by this um, kind of unjust laws and stuff. You know? Well said, bro. Well said. Very inspiring. After after you came home, did was that a point where you decided, you know what, I kind of got to make some changes and pivot a little bit and, and forge a new chapter for myself? For sure. You know what I mean? When I got back, I really got into just music, uh, video direction. So I really heavily just dove in onto just filming and directing and just editing and just getting my chops up and photography. I'm just really passionate about creative stuff. I also came back and um, just really into cooking. You know, I mean, I love, I'm super passionate about cooking and just uh, different cuisines and flavors. So in expressing myself as an artist that way and ultimately just like learning more and more mediums to just express myself, essentially, you know, and that's photography, uh, video, music, uh, creating new strains of cannabis. Lately, I've just been mainly focused on like breeding and creating new stuff, you know what I mean? And then also just art too. And uh, yeah. I have a lot of art projects I got, you know, kind of in the background I'm doing and um, just ultimately just being creative. I'm just a creative person and, and that's how I want to just kind of make my living and express myself and bring cool projects to the culture and the community and people and the public that, uh, you know, that uh, maybe could appreciate them and maybe learn or be inspired, you know? No doubt. You you have a lot of, like, aesthetic tastes that are very, I, I noticed, like, you know, I'm I, I'm a similar way. I'm a big mm-hmm. art guy, whether it's cinema, whether it's photography, whether it's uh, uh, graffiti. Um, and so I definitely noticed that about you, too. What, I mean, I remember, like, when, well, let's also go through the timeline, right? It's interesting um, the when medical marijuana came up for yeah. the first time, when they called it the club, yeah. the cannabis club. Yeah, You're yeah. a member of the cannabis yeah, club. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm finna go to the cannabis club. And I remember when, the, when, when that came out, the dispensaries first came out, it was like, blood, there's a store. Like, yeah, there's yeah. a whole store, bud. It just got jars, and you <laughs> could go in there, bud, and just go see the doctor, bud, and have him write you a note, bud. Like, yeah, you yeah, go. It's yeah. like, what? Really? And you go in there, and it's like brownies and, and Rice Krispie treats and edibles yeah. and, like, literally jars of any strain. Like, what, what, what do you think about the whole process as California in particular has gone from that medical process to now all the way recreational? So it's interesting because I left the country when it kind of really started to happen. So I was actually friends with Dennis Perone and, you know, used to do some business with him back in the day uh, before he opened up his club on Market Street and Church. It was like one of the first clubs in San Francisco. So Dennis Perone was obviously a pioneer and one of those people who was pushing for to uh, change some of the laws. And at the same time, uh, Steve D'Angelo was in over in Oakland and opening clubs and going through his own legal issues at the same time, like when I had left the country. So when I left the country, it was like Dennis Perone was going, Steve D'Angelo, other people, everybody was like making this push, uh, you know, towards legalization and opening shops and kind of regularizing and uh, normalizing uh, cannabis. Um, um, and then to come back, you know, in like 2010 is when I came back. And at that point, that's kind of when, you know, Prop 6, 216, all this shit, like everything really Prop 64, like it all kind of like started to 
you know, uh, change and kind of like people started to really come out of the woodwork and come out with brands now. You yeah. start to see way more brands, way more stuff. And, you know, I like um, when I got back, I was like on probation for three years. So 2013 is kind of when I had freed up and finally could kind of like get trying to get back on my feet and figure out what I was going to do and how I was going to go about, you know, doing my thing. And I was still kind of just, you know, reluctant to even bring my brand back. Uh, at the time, I was just like, oh, shit, you know. Uh, it's like a bad association. Yeah, almost. the association yeah. and stuff like that. And then, you know what? I'm like, hey, you know what I mean? I'm like, that's part of my past. I ain't got nothing to hide. I'm, you know, I'm just doing, you know, doing what I do. I'm, a, you know, a positive person and trying to bring good stuff to the community. So I said, man, that's when I started cultivating and, um, you know, trying to trying to build the brand and find different ways to brand it and message it and how to bring my story back to light. You know, so it's been a whole process of looking back into my own history and figuring out like what I stand for. What am I about? What is this brand about? You know what I mean? And ultimately it comes down to like my own my own uh, struggles and my own, uh, you know, passage, like rite of passage that I've had to go through, kind of like almost like a quest for fire damn near, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Of like the phoenix, like rising from the ashes. So, you know, I mean, I was up, I went all the way back down to like, you know, nothing. And then just coming back and just trying to rebuild as a person, you know what I mean? And find my own lane and kind of like, uh, you know, and and create this brand and and bring and bring my vision and my and, and the you know my dreams and my vision to life of like what I'm trying to do with it. You know what I mean? And it's like it's not easy as like a, initially kind of as a one man show, one man army. People don't believe in your vision or see your thing. You know what I mean? Not everybody's gonna like believe in your shit. So it's, it just goes to show how important it is for you to kind of believe in what you're doing. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And see it through and really don't give up. You know what I mean? Is really what it comes down to. And if you put in enough hours and are really passionate and really about whatever it is you're trying to do, you're going to get it, you know? Well said, man. I mean, I think sometimes people from the outside looking in, they think this shit is easy or they think certain people owe what they have to certain opportunities that they might not have had. But at the end of the day, it's like there's no such thing as a magic wand of success. Man. It really all boils down to hard work and a positive mental attitude and doing the right thing uh, and trusting the process. And uh, I, I, see, I see you moving in that direction. You know, we're talking about... Um, the, the decriminalization of, of we we're talking about medical to recreational. We're talking about the corporatization of it. It's such a weird thing. I'm kind of conflicted because while I don't miss the negative impacts like the, the prison times and stuff like that for people, it's a trip now. Like you said, everybody smokes weed, right? And... Um, it's uh, like it's it's just something about that whole, like you said, getting with your partners and and putting a few dollars together and 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 grabbing a a, a twenty sack that's gonna have six <laughs> heads on it. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna get all of them lifted for like a few hours, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. as opposed to now you go into a studio session. It's like six people smoking four gram backward blunts. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's just it's insane. Wild. Yeah, it's no, wild, it's, man. It's definitely another. It's definitely what do, you, what do you think, bro? Good, bad? You I mean, know? you know, I have to say, you know what I mean? It's it's good that everybody's discovering it. You know what I mean? I remember 
back in like the early, I mean, I don't know, it must have been late 80s, early 90s. I remember my brother was like, man, I'm stopping smoking weed. Too many people is doing this shit. They could have it type of shit. Yeah. I'm almost like that too. Like, you know what? All you motherfuckers could have this shit. I'm fucking retiring, you know? You know right. what I mean? Uh, you can have this weed shit. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it's good and it's bad. It's, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's like, you know, you got to kind of get up every day and just like force yourself to do this shit. And like, nobody else is going to do it for you. You got to like, you know, persevere and just follow through on this stuff. Um, um, and it, it is interesting, like you say, though, with the overconsumption maybe of stuff, like it isn't really about always smoking the weed and having like a competition about how much weed, you know, yeah, I don't you like can that smoke. type of shit, man. Honestly, it's about honest. like, smoke. I don't like smoking with those type of people. You know, either, it's man. like smoke weed and go honestly enjoy yourself and do something positive. Cause ultimately it's about like what you do with that energy that you get from the plant and the gift that it is. Cause it opens up a certain portal for creativity and for a, a different perspective. You know what I mean? So you got to utilize that, you know, when you first get that spark of energy, maybe you first light up and you're like, man, I'm inspired. I mean, that's a lot of like when Dre was smoking the champagne in the studio and smoking the champelli, he was like, man, he was inspired by that herb and went and created amazing stuff with it. So it's really about what you do with it now has become, you know, smoking has become the sport. And honestly, it's kind of, you know. Hey, I mean, each his own. I, I, you know, I have my moments where I'm smoking a ton of weed back to back, so I ain't down on on nothing. But at the same time, like, you know, I mean, my what my advice would be is to use that energy and and focus it into other more positive things if you're gonna smoke. So make it almost like a reward. I'm gonna smoke, but I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna create. I'm gonna do some exercise. I'm gonna go jump on a bike. I'm gonna go, and that's kind of like what uh you know my brand is about. I want it to be like what you do once you smoke the weed. You know what I mean? I see that in your brand, and I think that's, um, you know, that's something that I think is actually pretty cool about what's going on now is uh, the branding and the art of it. Like, even these bags that you brought today are, like, really cool looking. They got your design. As I said, like, you have a you have a really good eye for design. Uh, I think that comes across in your brand. The different shapes of the bag, the different ideas for flavors, uh, I think that really helps people stand out. And I think it helps people who are entrepreneurs um, touch touch into, like, more creative energy, you know? For sure, you know, I mean, that is, like, you know, we look towards different brands to be, like, you know, and different people and artists to be kind of to find inspiration and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I definitely want to be, I kind of want to use my platform and my voice and my brand to try to inspire, you know, however I can, uh, you know, I mean, marketing and branding and some of the colors and just, and just in general, the aesthetic is like one of those vehicles for doing it. And then at the same time, like ultimately, you know, um, other stuff that I want to bring to the table that's just, you know, in the works that I want to bring to the light and just more and more ways to try to inspire and make change and just, you know what I mean? And uh, try to just keep keep it interesting and, and shake it up a little bit out here, a little something, do something yeah. different, you know? Yeah. And, and how involved are you in like the actual cultivation these days? So lately, nowadays, it's like I'm basically more of like, going and working with cultivation partners so i'm curating cool. menus i'm like mm -hmm. making genetics and then bringing it to people who could cultivate you know mm -hmm. so i'm always looking for good cultivation partners that can actually grow that top 
level top tier stuff because not everybody can grow like on point nowadays. So it's really become like subtle differences because herb is one of those things that's like very subtle, subtle nuances. It's a very you know sensitive I mean? plant. It's a sensitive plant and you could give one person one cut of it, a clone, and it'd be you give everybody that same clone and it's going to come out different with everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it's one of those things that's like a living you know, it's a living entity, you know what I mean? So it's all the energy, a lot of why it is commercial and the way it is and it's coming out like just regular, looks good, but it don't smoke good is it's just, it's that energy that's going into it is missing some of that, you know, heart and soul. Whereas like the people back in the day, it would just be, they would have a two lighter in a closet with a couple plants and that shit would taste amazing. You'd yeah. be like, damn, I need more of that. And be like, ah, oh, no, I only got like, you know, one light in my closet, but it'd be the most amazing weed. Now, people got a thousand lights, 2000 lights. Yeah. So it's going to affect the quality, you know what I mean? Unless you're really good and you know how to like break it up and take care of everything and give everything its proper attention and nutrients and the right, just it's a right balance, you know? And if you don't do that correctly, your shit ain't going to be smoking. Yeah. I mean, it's, and then especially when you have like these, that's, that's the one thing that is kind of disturbing to me about the legalization is just the corporate giants that have stepped yeah, into the man. space and pushed out the little guy that people like yourself who like their, this culture would not be where it is today without some of your contributions. And then when you have a, a company that's strictly for profit, um, growing mass growing for mass consumption in, uh, in like big indoor factory farms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's kind of losing what, you know, this is all about as far as cannabis. Cannabis has always been about like, you know, being mindful and, and change. And I mean, even shit, I mean, even you could even equate it and uh, equate it with like environmentalism and shit and being more mindful with our environment and treating stuff you know the earth and stuff like that coming out of the 60s and 70s like that's like what was enlightening people and making people see different alternatives and trying different ways of living and shit like that and what is happening now is like you say a lot of people's stories and a lot of people who put in that groundwork for the industry and you know in this bit you know this modern day cannabis business to be where it is right now do go unnoticed and a lot of those stories are getting lost and a lot of that stuff is is not people aren't getting you know their proper due respect and you know proper due and I'm not speaking on myself I'm fine with what I'm doing and everything but I'm just saying in general there's a lot of stories and a lot of people I know people that have done time in jail people's families have been broken down uh you know a lot of communities a lot of people that have been you know just not you know left out you know what I mean in a sense and um that have all, you know, suffered and had a hand in this. Because the way I look at it is everybody has a hand in culture, whatever it is, whether it's cannabis or music or art or whatever. Like, if you're involved in it, you have a hand in that yeah. evolution of that of that culture and that community, you know what I mean? So for myself, speaking for myself, it's like, man, I've been living and breathing this since day one, since I was like all I know damn near in a way. Uh, it's like what I've been doing forever, you know what I mean? For example, and I've had a hand in shaping you know, you know, I mean, like hands on like that's I mean, I know every facet of this. I mean, there's not too many people that could say they've been doing this weed shit for 35 years, like all the way, like deep in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and to be now. So it's like it's one of those things uh, to be at this point. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, for myself, I'm just trying to get my brand in its in its place uh, and where I, I think I feel like it needs to be. You know what I mean? And um, 
But yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done with bringing other people's stories to light and making sure it's a just system and people really, you know, get their get their chance and their fair crack at some of this. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, part of what is coming to mind is just that sense of community. And that's why I feel like when the weed culture was this underground thing, as I saw it in the Bay, it's like when not everybody was smoking, uh, it's like you were kind of all in in on this thing. And it was a more personal thing where you literally had to know somebody to get it. Now, it's like you might as well be ordering a Big Mac, you know. Yeah. I've, so- I, it's crazy to see all the dispensaries in L.A., it's like a dispensary on every block in I mean, L.A. If you look at it in terms of this, think of like, you know, mom and pop music stores like yeah, Creative Music, for example, yes, Creative yes. Music. So like it's one of those things that it got, you know, it got centralized. The power got centralized or is getting centralized right now in cannabis. So it's like back in the day, it was like all the little weed dealers that I mean I used to go over to homie's house and it was like a whole culture you go over there yeah, yeah. you'd hang out he'd yeah. be like oh I've got a few different weeds you it might be meet like somebody else there it was literally like it was like a dispensary thing mm-hmm. but without you know the legalization thing where you go over to the homie's house everybody be sitting around talking mm-hmm. creating community in a sense you know what I mean you'd pick up a little weed meet some people go for a bike ride go whatever you know just is that but like once you know it went to dispensaries and it got like decentralized decentralized kind of in that way or or I don't know how you would describe it but it definitely was that that was that shift that we're talking about from communities like your local like they used to have a t-shirt a bumper sticker like support your local weed dealer you know Mm -hmm. what I mean support Mm -hmm. your local dealer like that's gone now in a sense you know what I mean now it's all dispensaries and stuff which is fine but at the same time it's like you know you still got to remember where it came from and people can't forget like what this was born out of you know what I mean and how it got to where it is now and on the backs of a lot of people's work in order for it to get where it's at absolutely bro absolutely and 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 I'm glad that you're able to transition now you're entering this space you you're pushing your brand you're pushing your line you're able to bring some of that authenticity into the limelight and i'm really glad that you came here today this has been a fascinating conversation bro for sure my brother man it's been a pleasure man yeah, man, uh, man uh, you, you you know you're you know uh uh, an old soul, a young cat that's deep with knowledge and, and just, man, and, and uh, just taking the time to to go through these stories and with these people and and, and, uh, and bring stuff to light that, like, that's a perfect example of, like, what you're doing right there, making sure people's stories are told Absolutely. and the knowledge is passed on, you know what I mean? And that's a big part of it right now. So, like, these newer generations can learn because a lot of people ain't, ain't um, you know— they ain't getting the right messages or the right knowledge right now. And a lot of people aren't teaching them like, you know, the, the, the positive shit, you know what I mean? Right on, man. That's, that's what it's all about. I really hope that like in 10 years, as the cannabis game gets even crazier, yeah. people can look back on this exact podcast and yeah. get some insight. For man. sure, my brother. Definitely, definitely, man. So anything else um, you want to mention, plug specifically that's, I mean, that's you know, coming out soon? I mean, or? I'd have to say, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on with clothing stuff right now. Uh, a lot of like old and new music coming out. Um, a lot of new different genetics that I've been making over the last two years. I got like a lot of new, cool, different new genetics coming up. So definitely follow the brand, Champelli.co. It has a store finder there. So you can literally go in and find different dispensaries. You can also buy, you know, all the clothing and different drip. I like to have my hand in cut and sew and design. And a lot of the stuff that I'm making is like 
really kind of personalized and has my own touch on it. And I'm trying to make them, you know, them one-off pieces that you like to wear every day, kind of your favorite piece. But, you know, stay stay tuned and look for the Champelli, you know, products. This is the Cassis. We're getting ready to do a drop with that. You know what I mean? We got the Modiano, for example. This is another one right there. The Modiano, um, you know, the Ropium. You know, that's based off the old school rope. Rope, rope You know what rope, I mean? There's a Bay Area term right there. The rope, smoking rope. You know what I mean? The exclusivo. You know what I mean? And then I got a ton of different gummies coming. The cassis. I got the watermelon coming. You know what I mean? All these different flavors. Just trying to bring flavors and different terps. The limonada, which is a lemon thing. The aranciata, which is an orange joint. You know what I mean? So we're going to have gummies. And then ultimately, I'm all about the terps. With the tree stuff, like, you know, unique terps, different flavors, trying to bring new flavor profiles, not the same old shit that you've been smoking, you know what I mean? Got the hash holes, which is a wave right now. Everybody fucking with these hash holes. It's like an infused uh, pre-roll or rosin, for example, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, just lots of new flavors coming with the brand. So Champelli.co and then just straight Champelli on Instagram if y'all want to follow uh, man, it's all love. It's just a big family just trying to grow and uh, and build with good people. You know what I mean? And, and uh, make make change out here. You know what I mean? Positive change. Amazing. Amazing, bro. Summer, bro. Thank you so much thank for you coming guys, through man. and thank blessing you guys. us. And thank you to everybody who's watching. I want to take a second just to say we get so many supporters from all over the world. The team is super locked in. We're all committed to doing some positive stuff with this platform. And you people out there, watching, commenting, liking, subscribing, following, copying merchandise, checking out our sponsors. All you guys are part of this family with the history of the Bay. Support the home team. Support your local weed dealer. And let's keep getting it, man. Let's keep doing this. We we just hit 21 episodes. We're going to do 2,100 before this thing is all over, man. Much love, y'all. Champelli is in the building. And we out. Yee! Recognize where you got the game. We got our own style, got our own slang. Northern California is a West Coast thing. This is the history of the bank. Recognize where you got the game. We got our own style, got our own slang. Northern California is a West Coast thing. This is the history of the bank.